Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 70 of the Training for Ultra podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And Sally just absolutely nailed that intro, so I don't need to say anything else. Um, maybe I need to get her on and hire her as my big voice intro every episode. Um, but this is, like I've mentioned, I mean, this is one of my favorite episodes. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll get to hear Sally's real gritty story and she's just a straight shooter and um i i didn't know the full extent of her story i mean i i've heard pieces of it before there's an amazing ginger runner video out there and you know i've I've heard her on a few podcasts in the past but wow like it's just it's a unbelievable conversation i'm just very thankful to have her on and think the world of her so sally thank you for taking so much time and sharing your story Real quick, I wanted to thank my sponsors, Hammer Nutrition. So big news is I am signing on 2019 as a sponsored athlete for Hammer. So they will will definitely be um, a, a title sponsor for 2019 on the podcast. If you haven't tried them out, feel free. Use my promo code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. Also wanted to thank Sufferfest Beer. Enjoyed a few of them Saturday. Uh definitely really like the um the blonde they have a great ipa they have a pilsner they have a um actually like a low carb option and they have a uh, fkt so definitely check them out it's um gluten removed beer very very good tasting like they don't even talk about being gluten removed so definitely recommend them destination trail big sponsor big supporter candace burt and her team very excited to have signed up for the Triple Crown in 2019. Triple Crown of 200. So I will be at Bigfoot 200. And then 30 days later, I plan on being at Tahoe to do the Tahoe 200. And then to finish off the Triple, I will be at Moab to do the Moab 240. I have some unfinished business there. I know I finished it this year, but I feel like I have more to offer than showed up at, at race day this year. So be really fascinating i'll share all my training and and preparation going into that it's sort of i think a once in a lifetime chance to really go after it and then maybe focus on different distances afterwards but the 200 mile distance is special it's more of an adventure it's more exploring than um like a 100 mile experience at least for me so everyone's different but big thank you to destination trail big thank you to exoskin i definitely like their socks toe socks and non-toe socks i like their calf sleeves quite a bit i use them probably every other run and their base layer is just very very high-tech material and it's crazy that they have um like a copper interwoven in the material to reduce smell so you don't even have to really like wash your gear after every single use you can get away with i, I only wash my socks after three or four uses just they don't smell they don't need to be washed so if you haven't tried out exoskin feel free to use my promo code t the number 4u20 and you'll receive 20 percent off last but not least i wanted to thank the patreon supporters you guys have been absolutely amazing 
really enjoy the closed Facebook group conversations and sharing what races you guys have up. I know one of the one of the Patreon supporters just signed up for their first 200K, and they were really nervous about it. It was just fun kind of interacting behind the scenes. So if, if you want to get a taste of that, feel free. Um, they also got a taste of this episode before anyone else. So big thank you to you guys. You make this all work. So get ready. Strap yourself in. This is just an awesome conversation. Truly, truly think the world of Sally. So enjoy it. I'm joined here by Sally McRae. She needs no introduction. She's, you know, one of the elite, well-known athletes within our sport. And it's truly an honor to speak with her. Sally, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Let's let's get your sponsors in. I, <laughs> okay. I want to thank you for taking the time by at least giving them a quick shout out. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I want to thank Nike Trail, Spring Energy, Koros Watches, uh, Liquid IV, Igloo Coolers, and I know I'm going to forget one, uh, Inside Tracker, and O2 Health Lab. <laughs> Can we can we talk about igloo coolers really quick? Yeah. Can I just? I, I don't know if many runners. Oh man! I've, I've talked to one or two that have had sponsorships. Igloo coolers. Igloo coolers. Yeah, I mean that's like taking it way back, right? Like the red cooler. Like you remember those, like at soccer games and oh, at the sure. beach. And I mean, it is like the OG of what is now. I mean, there's so many other like coolers and. Um, what are these thermoses and, yeah, you know, all of the flasks and, th- and things like that. So Igloo Coolers has kind of like rebranded themselves and they're starting to, to get more in, into like the outdoor scene, um, surfing. And so they just saw me as, as a really good fit because I'm always in the mountains. And after a long day in the mountains, I like to eat as soon as I get back to my car. So um, one of the things that they kind of noticed was just, how important that is like having food and a good cooler as soon as I get back to my car. So they have all these incredible products that allow me just to plan my meals. And sometimes it's meetings all day or I'm just running from one workout to the next. And so, um, you know, like I'll use one of the, they have this really cool cooling like backpack thing. So I can pack my meals in there. And then having done bad water, 135, they make like this BMX cooler, which keeps stuff cold for five days. So that wow. they gave me a few of those for bad water. And those were a lifesaver, like game changer. So um, they're actually a really awesome sponsor for me. They're very fitting. I mean, I use their stuff every day. No, it's it's unique. That's what I thought was yeah. really cool about it. Like, you know, yeah. it's not night. I mean, Nike is pretty sweet, but yeah, you know, it's not like your typical like shoe deal, sock yes. deal, XYZ. Mm-hmm. Um, it was unique, and and so did they give you a yellow cooler, or did they give you? The- <laughs> We've talked about that. You know, I that's one of the things. Like, um, and I will say, I this is my sixth year running professionally, and there's a lot that I've had to learn since I first signed. You know, you have to. It's one thing, you know, for for people that are actually working toward becoming a professional athlete. And, you know, I spent about a good 18 years of my life trying to become a professional soccer player. Um, you know, you dream of just like finally making it and what that's going to be like. And what I had to quickly learn was I needed to be a good businesswoman. And I also learned that um, the business world is hard. It's It's kind of a a cold cutthroat world. And, um, you know, people are just going to honestly tell you what they think of you. They're not going to 
maybe always see the value in you that you hope that they will, um, you know, and, and so I just learned how to have good conversations and build relationships and really stand up for, for who I am and, um, and just to work hard just for not only in my sport, like I, I want to be the best athlete that I can be, but I also, I also want to be a good businesswoman too, because I know that at the end of the day, these brands are looking for people that are going to sell their product. And that's just the reality of it. And so, you know, um, you have to learn how, how to have those good conversations. And it's not easy. I think sometimes when people find out that I'm a professional athlete, they just think that, you know, I have this red carpet rolled out for me all the time and I'm getting these big checks in the mail. <laughs> it's not true. I'm not a professional uh you know, football player, I'm a professional runner. And you know, that isn't typically like a ton of money. So I really prided myself in just learning business and learning how to build good relationships. But with that over the years has come, um, the ability to really stand up for what I believe in and to, to really be careful about the companies that I work with and the people that I'm working with. And you know, that hasn't always been easy because sometimes, you know, a company will make you a nice offer, but Maybe that company isn't actually operating in um, with integrity or treating you fairly, and and so you know every company that I am with, and especially Nike Trail, like everyone that works for Nike Trail Running is they're my friends, and they really believe in me as an athlete. They've included me. I've I've helped design so much of the trail stuff. Um, same with my nutrition sponsor, Spring you know, having my own flavor and just really like talking all the time about branding and, and stuff like that. And Igloo Coolers was kind of the same way. I mean, they really believe in me in, 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 as an athlete and every single one of my sponsors, they invest in me and they support me. You know, um, I, I'd say that I'd, I probably get contacted almost every day uh, by either a company or someone that wants me to do a post. And um, the majority of the time I, I, I decline, uh, because, you know, I really have a big appreciation for the people that follow me and I want them to trust me. And so I really only promote and put things out there that I use and I really believe in and that I really love. So I'm exactly um, the same. Right? No, I swear. So I swear important. to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that can you imagine like, Oh, I just bought these new, um, these new shoes that Sally McRae recommended and oh. then they fell apart the next day. Like yeah. people would be mad at you, yeah. not, not even necessarily at the shoe company probably, mm. but right. um, I mean, we have an igloo cooler here at my house <laughs> and in retrospect, if I saw a yellow one with your signature on it, <laughs> you'd get that. I'd, totally, I, I'd sell I'd, one. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, maybe two, but because I mean, your Mackenzie would need one for her yeah. track races. <laughs> True, um, we got two. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's cool. It's it's uh it's a cool insight to hear that mm. you know you're so thoughtful on that front because it's a world that like I don't think most people get to peek behind the curtains. They just see like an yeah. Instagram post. So, mm. um. I mean, before we get into it, your your nickname for how long has been the Yellow mm -hmm. Runner? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, I'm like the first one to ask, right? No, I I I get asked that quite a bit. Um, it's actually one of the 
top questions that I, I am asked. I'm being sarcastic. I'm I'm very yeah. very sarcastic. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll message you while we talk. Okay, this is like extreme sarcasm here. <laughs> how 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 did it come up? Like, was there a moment where you're like, I mm. am the yellow runner? <laughs> you, um, actually, it was so. So there is just a meaning behind the name. It isn't necessarily that. Oh my gosh, yellow is like the best color ever. I need everything yellow. I do have a lot of yellow stuff. Uh, people buy me a lot of yellow stuff for gifts now, <laughs> too, which is so endearing to me. It means so much to me. You know, my kids will get me yellow flowers, and anytime they see anything yellow, they like get excited and it's allowed a connection with, with people just around the world. They'll send me pictures and messages when, you know, something that was yellow and, and then it creates conversation. So for those reasons, like I, I love that, that I kind of have that nickname or, um, it's cool. It's unique. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the meaning behind it really, um, came out of, uh, you know, somewhat it was, it was rooted in a day that was really painful for me. Um, and then grew into this great, great hope. And when I was, um, growing up, my mom had a few nicknames for me. There was little bear. Um, and one of them was, was sunshine. So, you know, we had five kids. My family had a really big family and I was close to my mom. I'm one of five kids. I'm the middle child. And she was diagnosed with cancer when I was 14 and she passed away when I was 17. And she, she passed away four weeks before my birthday. And on the day, I'm sorry, four weeks after my birth, after my 17th birthday, but the day of my birthday, she demanded that my father put her in the car and drive her to Target. It's this, you know, popular superstore around here. Um, and she wanted to buy me a birthday present. And I remember this whole conversation happening and you know, she, we, the hospital bed was already in our living room. Like she, we knew that we were preparing for her passing. And so I started to get upset and I said, you're, you're not going anywhere. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and she's like, no, put me in the, in the wheelchair, get me into the car. I want to go buy you a gift for your birthday. And, you know, now that I'm a mom, I, I understand where that was coming from that deep place in her heart, realizing this is the last time I will get to celebrate one of my kids' birthdays. Like this is the last time that I can communicate love in this way. And so my dad um, put her in the car uh, and then she came back. I think they came back like a little over an hour later and I was really upset. And, you know, at one point I remember thinking like, oh, I wish it wasn't my birthday today. <laughs> you know, it was just like so overwhelming. But my dad wheeled her into the living room and I just dropped to my knees. I sat at her feet and I was crying and I said, mom, you didn't have to do this. And she had her little target bags and she was so proud of herself. And she just starts taking out these gifts and all of them were yellow. There was a yellow candle, a yellow clock, I think a yellow picture frame, really small, sweet gifts. And her, her message to me was just like, you've always been my sunshine. You shine. And, you know, I know that I am not going to be here for you. And, you know, I was always a dreamer ever since I was a little girl. And, you know, at this time I was going to, I was slated to be the first one in my family to go to college. You know, I'd wanted to be a professional soccer player. I had all these huge dreams that my mom greatly encouraged me in. She was such an encourager. 
and I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, some of the things I want to do were insane, but she still just was like so positive and you know, you can do anything. So her message to me was just don't become bitter that I'm going to be gone. Keep going after all the things that you love and live a life that shines. Like don't stop being sunshine. So when I started running and that was after college, um, I would think of her often. And one of my favorite things to do was, was to run in the rain because she loved it when it would rain. And, you know, when I um, would run in the rain, I loved it because I could cry when, and no one would tell, could tell that I was crying. And I think for me, it was just, and those were those few years after she was gone, I would think of her when I would go on these runs and um, think about what, where my life was going. And, you know, as, as I then got married and had kids and I learned about these ultras and I thought, you know, I'm gonna be brave enough. I'm just going to do it. And I realized that's just how I've always been. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do it. And, um, and I wanted my running to be meaningful. And so that is, is truly where, um, yellow runner came from. It's just the reminder to me, um, and hopefully to others that, you know, we, there's a lot of things that, that we're passionate about. We all have our, our certain gifts and things that we get to do and, and all of them are important. Um, but the most rewarding thing that we can do with those is to use them to shine on to other people, to encourage and to and inspire the people to be brave and do the same thing. And so, you know, yellow runner is, is just that it's, it's that, you know, don't just run to get on the podium and get another medal. I mean, those things tarnish and pass, but you know, can I use running to reach people? Can I use running to inspire, bring hope or motivate? You know, that is what is, is lasting. And I think, you know, I was so young when she passed away, but one of the most impacting things for me, and we, we weren't, we didn't have a lot growing up. So, you know, I remember when she left, one of the few things that all the kids were given was I got a roll of quarters um, and a couple little like trinkets. But I just remember thinking, wow, like she took nothing with her. There was nothing like tangible that was so great. And so for me, I didn't have something tangible to cling on to. And because of that, tangible things started to lose their value. And as I would think of my mom, I realized the most important, most wonderful thing about her were the moments I had with her, the conversations, the way that she made me feel. And it's realizing that it's like, wow, that is actually the most precious thing that I can do with my life is can I, can I also pass that on? Can I pass it on to my children? Can I pass it on to my friends and, and people that I interact with? If, if anything that people remember me for is just that, that, that I believed in them or made them feel loved or, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like that is a fulfilling life. So, you know, that's the heart of, of my running and where, where yellow runner comes from. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> and I honor, honestly, I, I came to the, a similar realization with the birth of my my first child, the fact that, you know, he was so happy with nothing. Mm. Um, and all he wanted was, you know, to be looked at and hugged yeah. and fed. And yeah. he, he literally, like, has nothing. Um, and that's that for me was when I, I really lost... Uh, the need for stuff mm. like you know the societal kind of 
I don't I don't know where it came from, but it mm-hmm. it definitely was lost. Um, that in the combination of just running on the trails and realizing what was really important in life. Um, Absolutely. But man, I I appreciate you sharing that story because I I'm sure it's not easy to have to go back over it, but <laughs> it truly has made you you know an amazing strong person. Um, you. So you wanted to become a professional soccer player. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> did Mia did Mia Ham take your spot? Is that what happened? No, but she did coach me at one point. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Okay, now I have I would... to now I have to hear this story. <laughs> yeah, you know what was I, going on there? It was a summer camp. It was like a summer soccer camp and um, you know, I just played ASO for like the first twelve years of my life, AYSO, um, which is just recreational. And my dad was a commissioner and a ref, and so all five of the kids, like, we got free registration, and you know, I couldn't, we couldn't really afford club, and and I think this weekend, it was like nine, 1992, you know, it was like right. Remember when all the women, like, they were like world champions that that picture of Brandy Chastain ripping her jersey off on her oh, knees, you know, after, I was like yeah. so iconic, right? Yeah. So women's soccer was huge. Yeah. It was, there was this huge growth um, and increase in just female players. And, you know, I, I had been playing since I was four and just loved it. And the love really came from watching my brother. My brother was my hero. He was five years older than me and he was amazing. I remember he got to go to Hawaii with his team. I remember helping him sell candy bars so that he could go on that trip. I mean, um, everyone in my family just played. So, um, you know, we got this opportunity to go to this camp for the weekend and I was just awestruck. I couldn't believe that Mia Hamm was there. Michelle Akers was there. I mean, they were all there. It was like the whole team was there. It was, um, I don't know if they were like on a tour or, or what it was that they were doing, but, um, I just, I remember being so excited to just be near them and to listen to them. And, um, you know, I think that helped continue to, to light a fire in me that I was like, I'm, I'm going to be like them one day. And, you know, I, for as long as I can remember, I had always wanted to be a professional athlete. When I was seven, it was, I wanted to be a gymnast. Um, so I tried, you know, doing that and then it was soccer. So there, I always just had this drive. I can't really remember a time in my life that I didn't. I loved competitive sports. I loved pushing my body. I, I loved the idea of just play, um, you know, and just that, that true competitiveness, that, that nature that we all have. Like I, I love that in a, in a, in a play setting. So, um, yeah, that's, it's just and, kind and, of always, been I there. mean, how <laughs> I, I assume there was one event that stopped this or yeah, like, was, how did it, you transition into running? So with my mom's passing, um, oh, no kidding. I, I went through like a really, just a rough patch. You know, I, I grew up with a very displeasing father. Um, you know, my dad, he just never liked me. And, um, he was, you know, I'll, I'll just come out and say he was pretty abusive and it was probably more emotionally and verbally than as far as it being really bad more than anything, which just, it wrecked me. And it was really difficult when my mom passed because my mom was completely opposite. So I had like this war of two worlds in my house that I was constantly dealing with. And you know, there was a side of me when my mom left, when she was passing right before she passed, that I told her, I promised her, I will take care 
of my younger siblings. And I kind of promised that to her. And so I felt like I'm going to get my GED and continue working. I was, I had been working two jobs since I was, um, 14, 15, 15 years old. And that was just life for me. I'd always been working, always been playing soccer. And, and so, you know, I had gotten a scholarship to play on a club team. The local club team had, had seen me in high school. I made freshmen as a freshman. I was the, I was on the varsity team. I was the top scorer. Um, I was pretty good having just come out of recreation. And so this club team had given me a, a scholarship to play. And so when my mom was doing really bad. Um, her health was declining. I had colleges from all over the United States that would come to my tournaments. And so I was getting like letters of interest. Um, you know, I was a junior in high school, so that's usually when you know what school you're going to. And that's what's, it's super competitive. And it's like a lot of pressures on you. And I remember I left, um, we were a nationally ranked club team. And I remember I left for a whole weekend to go to this tournament on a Friday and then I came back on a Sunday and within those three days she went from walking to being confined to a wheelchair and I just remember thinking I'm I'm done playing like I'm not it was so traumatizing me realizing like what is the most important thing to me right now and the most important thing to me was just being with my mom and making sure that when she was gone that my sisters were safe and they were okay and um and that I was going to be there for them. So, you know, it's in retrospect, you know, I, I, I look at my kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's like the whole world on your shoulders. That's a lot to have to kind of work through. Um, but I felt that that was the right thing to do. And so I pretty much didn't respond to any colleges and I just gave up on that dream. And then the middle of my senior year, a really good family friend came alongside me and said, you know, your mom would be devastated if she found out you did that. You know, that is as much as you think it's your job to just go and work and take care of your siblings. That is not like the plan for you. That's not what she would want for you. And it's they're going to be OK. You're going to be OK. So she literally took me by the hand and dragged me around to local colleges in Southern California that I did not want to go to. And I argued with her every time we went to one. And finally, she took me to um, Biola University and the coach there knew who I was and said, hey, some girls on this team are willing to give up some of their scholarship if you'll come play for us. And this is, you know, months before I'm graduating. And I thought that is pretty incredible that these yeah. girls who have worked Seriously. so hard are giving up something so that I could be here, essentially a stranger. And it just, you know, that was another very pivotal time in my life and ultimately ended up changing my whole life because I went to Biola and I met my husband and there were some projects that I was involved in at Biola that um, that ultimately just changed my entire perspective of professional and competitive sports and really just the outlook that I, like my worldview and, and just how I approach life and, um, you know, a lot happened in college, a lot of very, very hard, painful heartache um, when I was in college. And, you know, I still continued to work two jobs. I was taking 18 units and I was a starter on the soccer team. I mean, I slept for three hours every night, all four years in college. I mean, people knew me as, you know, Sally who never sleeps. <laughs> it was just, it was crazy. So, you know, um, I look at, at my life and I realize so much of what happened in my youth and in my college days, so much of that was preparing me for what I'm doing now. And I would have never, 
ever dreamed or believed. I didn't even know about this sport yeah. when I was in college. I never thought I would be doing this. And people are like, why do you love running 100 miles? How do you do it? And, and it's like, I feel like I've actually been training for that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> the ups and downs and staying up all night and having to endure and, you know, the mental breakdowns and um, the unexpected you know, discomfort and the setbacks and having to be flexible. I mean, everything that really ties into being to pulling off a 100 mile race. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been doing that like my whole life. <laughs> so, um, did, it's been a good transition. <laughs> did, I mean, did you have any time to yourself throughout this whole, I mean, by the time you graduated college, did you have any mm. time for Sally? Or were you, <laughs> were you so focused on making everyone else, I mean, not only happy, but I mean, it sounds like you're basically taking care of your, your siblings also. I mean, did you ever have a moment where you're like, you took care of you? <laughs> you're going to make me cry. Um, that was really rare. And you know, it's really funny because when I, uh, when I first started working with a coach in ultra running, that was always like the biggest concern. They're like, it, we never have to motivate you to train you'll train like a, a horse um but the biggest problem is that you don't take care of yourself and you know i've had a couple coaches and that actually just in this past few months i've had two different coaches tell me that that's just like it's so it's something that i will always have to work on you know when you condition uh and for me it's like it was condition my life was conditioned to be that way to feel the stress of, I need to look after others. I need to make money. I need to pay the bills. I need, I need to do this, 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 and this. Um, and it's, it's been a journey for me. My, my husband is incredible and we are, couldn't be more opposite in many ways. And, um, he does a great job of, of making sure that I slow down and he, he's a great listener and, and he will be like, you know, you need to lay down, <laughs> you need to take a nap, you need to pause, you know, but you know, during that time, um, I didn't, you know, I, within the year of my mom passing away, six weeks later, my dad was diagnosed with this massive brain tumor. It almost killed him. It's, uh, I'll just use the elementary name of it. It's giganticism. So there's this tumor that was sitting on his pituitary gland and it made his body really big. And, um, it was, it was pretty intense because I, you know, my older brother and sister, they, you know, after my mom passed away, we all deal with death differently and it was hard for them. And they kind of, you know, went on, went their own ways. And then I had, it was me and my two little sisters at home. So, um, within nine months, my dad was diagnosed with this, this brain tumor. Uh, my grandpa died and then um, my, my little sisters, as soon as I turned 18, my little sisters were actually un and unfortunately taken away from my dad. And so I became their guardian. Um, but I was like li only listed as their guardian because they then went into the system for nine months. Oh, and they were tossed around to foster homes and group homes and um, a children's center. Um, one of them ended up going to um, juvenile hall. And so I was mess because it was like the worst personal. nightmare you took it personally yeah. like it was your fault that this was happening almost probably it, it was it, yeah. and I you know when I was a junior um no when I was a senior in college I actually 
decided, like my major, I decided to work more. I'm a communication studies major, but I decided to work more with children. So I went and worked at this level for, um, 16 facility for kids that were in, um, in foster care. Who, they were like the worst case abused kids in Southern California. So we, I mean, they were had like a padded room. Uh, we had to learn prone holds and takedowns for like these little kids. Cause they were also, they'd been so severely abused. They were also violent. And, um, you know, it just shaped a lot of me and just what was going on in my life at that time. I later went on, I worked in orphan care and foster care for, for a while. Um, I was shattered that I couldn't do anything to, to get them out and to take care of them because, you know, they were, they were taken right at the end of my senior year. And then I started college and they were still gone. And, um, you know, I, I, I won't spend a lot of time there. It's, it's just, it was very sad. It was a really sad time in my life because I was, I was trying to enter college. Uh, and then I'm also running around trying to see where they are. And then it was juvenile hall visits and, you know, a lot of things that were out of my control. And, you know, I had, I had some time where I just felt like, wow, like my entire life is falling apart. And I remember the day I was, um, it was the end of my senior year when my dad, um, he was arrested for just a, a few days and then my sisters were put in foster care. But I remember driving home that night to our home, to our house and walking in the door and just dropping to my knees and just crying, like weeping. Cause I'm like, this used to be a family of seven and I'm here all by myself and I have no one. And it was within a year that I lost everyone. And, you know, I'd be lying if I, to, if to say that, you know, family's all back together and happy. I mean, it's been a long road of just, of pain. And, um, you know, my siblings are strong, you know, and they're, they're, um, they've always been able to take care of themselves and they're working and, and have made lives for themselves. But, uh, you know, my family has had a lot of brokenness in it. And I think that's kind of where my motivation as a runner has come into place, like using my platform to be able to encourage people. I able to identify with people on so many different levels. And yeah. I realized that a lot of our uh, one of my favorite quotes, it's uh, by Ruth Stoll. It's, you know, a, a loaf of bread um, can can feed a little lad, but when broken into pieces can feed many. And I've just tried to really um, remember that throughout my life, realizing that my brokenness is not, it's not a negative thing. It's not something I should be ashamed of. It's realizing like it has allowed me to connect with people and has given me a, a greater capacity for compassion and understanding in ways that I would never known had I not gone through this. And so I'm grateful for who it's shaped me to be. Um, I'm grateful that I've been able to connect with people in, in very deep ways because of it. Um, but you know, it, I will always be a work in progress. Um, I'll always, I, I feel like there's always areas in my life that I can grow in and I can get better at. I know that your original question was, did you ever take time for yourself? And, um, you know, I really didn't. It was, life was, was a whirlwind, uh, all throughout, even, even when I first got married throughout. Yeah. Even when I first got married. So, um, I'm still learning. <laughs> you're, you're a truly amazing person. And I, I still remember to this day, like one of my very first treadmill runs, you know, having just lost 50 pounds and trying out running, like mm. literally start at a, 16 minute mile like slow mm -hmm. jog on a treadmill in the basement watching uh one of your 
one of your films that was, you know, put together by Ethan Newberry um, mm. and being touched by it. But mm. man, I, I didn't know the extent, <laughs> you know, to the background of that story. Cause I mean, in most films, you only have a half an hour to really convey the whole story. And <laughs> like, that's, that was, it's amazing. It's, mm. it's like, I, I had a few questions lined up, like, you know, what's, what's driving you to train so hard and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And it's like, wow, like, like I, I can skip those questions because I can <laughs> see, I can see where the drive comes from and where the strength comes from. Mm. So, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to picture. So you graduate college, mm-hmm. you know, you had gotten through, I, I assume you, you graduated and got through, I oh, yeah. jumped the gun there. Yeah, um, I did. <laughs> and you said that that's when running started for you. Like, mm-hmm. what was the catalyst? When did you first discover running? I know you, you'd you probably put in some miles on the soccer field for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, w- when were you introduced to it? I was seven years old when I was first introduced to it. There were some local races. And I always, I usually either won them or got second place. I was a great runner. And there was some club teams in the area. And I remember I, I got first place in the city and then I got second place for the county and then I qualified for the state races, but we couldn't afford to, to go up to where the race was. It was hours away. And, um, but it wasn't like, I mean, I was seven um, and I did that for a couple years and I loved it. I was really, I loved running fast. Like that was, I just thought it was fun and we, all us kids, we'd, we'd walk to school. School was probably like roughly a mile from our house. And my brother would ride his bike and I'd run next to him. And I just thought it was so awesome that I could run next to him while he was riding his bike. And sometimes I try to beat him and at school on the playground, like I always made sure that I could beat the boys on the playground <laughs> running. Like it was, and I, I was very much a tomboy. So I played, you know, I, I played football and soccer with the boys and I remember particularly like in our neighborhood, the boys would come over and be like, Hey, there's a new kid that just moved in. You got to go race him. We got to see if he's faster than you. You know, it was so running. I can see that too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I really looked up to my brother. Like he and I were really close. So I really wanted to be like him and he was very fast and he was an incredible soccer player. So I, 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 I see that as just like a lot of that just came from like my admiration for him and my love for him. And I just thought, you know, at this time too, I, I thought boys were just tough. You know, I, I wasn't really impressed with, um, I don't know. I just thought that girls were kind of wimpy and did he like almost take on a father figure for you? Like since that relationship wasn't Mm. as strong as it should have been, or was it just not really like like admiration? Yeah. Like he was like my best bud. Like, Oh, cool. And he was just like a good, yeah, I mean, we, we, and we are just a lot alike. We look a lot, a lot alike. We have a lot of the same interests, like across the board, our humor, our interest in music. Like he and I were just super close. So Simil- I think similar laugh or yeah, yeah, that okay. too, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I, and, and where we were living, there weren't enough girls to form, um, soccer teams. So the girls were always put on like they were dispersed into the boys team. So I, from the time I was 10, 
I played a lot on boys soccer teams and I usually made all stars. And at that age, wow. like nine, 10, like girls are still kind of like the same size as boys, you know? Um, but I remember very distinctly sometimes dad screaming at their son, don't let a girl beat you. What is that girl? You know, and just oh, getting gosh. super upset. And, um, and I loved that. I was like, yeah, I'm beating the boys. So I always kind of <laughs> had that, you know, grown up. And then, um, as I got older, it was just, you know, I, I really then developed just a true love for it. I liked that it was a little bit more of a contact sport. I loved that there's these, um, moments of explosiveness. I actually, uh, like I love fast, short bursts of running. And when I was in high school, our, you know, our soccer coaches always encourage us to stay in shape all year long. So we were encouraged either to do cross country or track. So I was a sprinter in high school and a couple of my coaches tried to get me to do like the mile or the two, you know, the two mile. And I was like, heck no, that's so boring. So I only did the 100 and 200 and then I was forced to do the 400. So I like just, yeah, like I was saying, just the explosive, fast, powerful running, but I always had really good in, endurance too. So that's really where the running started. Um, and then when I got into college, it's pretty standard. If you're, you know, if you're a college athlete, you're pretty much training year round and then in, in the summer on your own. And so you are expected to be able to run like five, six miles, like no problem. So, you know, that's, that's just common for, you know, for that sport. So running was a part of my life as just like a supplement to my fitness as a soccer player. And then after I graduated from, from college, I actually still traveled a little bit playing soccer. And then when Eddie and I got married, we, within five weeks of getting married, we went to China and we taught English together. And we didn't realize until we arrived that we would have to teach for 12 hours every day, except Sunday. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And I love traveling. I, I had done quite a bit of traveling already at this time. And so my favorite thing 12, was just 12, 12 hours. Well, actually, it was 10 hours. Just yeah, it was 10 hours every day. No, they're really intense over there with their uh, with their academics. The, the schoolmaster said, you will make sure that these kids that their English increases by 50% by the time this camp is over. And we're like, okay, <laughs> it was crazy, crazy. So I would get up in the morning because I really wanted to see where I was. I've, you know, I'm a very, just naturally very curious person um, and really comfortable whenever I travel, I'm fine just going out and just exploring. And so that's what I would do. I'd get up at five and I'd watch this city. We were in the city of Tianjin. Um, I'd watch the city just come to life in the morning. You see people doing Tai Chi on the side of the road. And I made friends with this lady that had this little omelet cart. So after my run every morning, I'd go and get an omelet and, you know, she'd teach me a couple Chinese words. And it was just like this really cool experience. And what I realized, I was like, you know, running on my two feet to see a new place to explore is pretty cool. So when I got home, I decided, man, I have all this fitness. I'll train for a marathon. And so that's really where endurance running started. And that was in 2002. So I've been endurance running now. Oh my gosh. Wow. For a long time. <laughs> for <laughs> what, 16 so years. So what, what uh, marathon did you sign up for? I signed up for LA Marathon. Okay. And it was a horrific experience. I finished with bloody feet and blisters. I couldn't walk for like a week, but I loved it. it. I mean, I was like, wow, that was really cool. And at that time, it's like, that was a big deal. You know, that's a 
big oh, it still is to do a marathon is no I mean, joke it's this a lifetime painful. it's a lifetime achievement for it's a lot a of people li- absolutely which, which we always forget about I we mean, do we yeah. do it's it still is not something that that people will the majority will will do so i was i i think though um having trained for that not knowing what i was doing it really just lit again this competitiveness that was in me and i had never really ever stopped training from the time i left college um transitioning to running i loved training and i had for most of my competitive soccer career had had trained twice a day like that was just that's just what i knew to do and so I heard about this race called Boston Marathon that you had to qualify for it. And for me, I was like, that's the most motivating thing ever. I will run Boston. So my second marathon, I qualified for Boston, went and ran Boston, and then I got pregnant with my daughter. So I had only run like one marathon a year and, you know, I was just still learning about it. I'd never done 5Ks or 10Ks. Even to this day, I've, I've never raced those distances. I've actually never really raced anything on the road. Um, I've either done them as a, as a fitness prep or inside of training for something else. But, you know, those first years were just kind of like discovering, you know, discovering the, the, the sport of, of endurance running. And I've gone back and forth. There have been times where I'm like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if I did really put all my eggs in one basket and I went and just really trained hard for a marathon. And, you know, I tried that four years ago and in the middle of it, I just missed the mountains so much. It was, this yeah. is when Ann Chasen was my coach, mm-hmm. but I missed the mountains so deeply that I became unhappy in my running. And I realized I'm like, I'm just, I'm not a road runner. Like I, I was signed to be a trail runner. I, that's, that's my sport. I'm going to own it. I'm going to do what I love. Like that's what I'm passionate about. And especially having a family, um, you know, I, I, it's like, I have to be really specific with what I do with my time and the focus and, and everything. And I, I just wanted to really stick to that. Um, so I, you know, I, I ran the marathon, but as soon as I crossed the finish line, I went straight to the mountains and ran like 20 miles in the mountains and was just the happiest girl ever because I didn't have to do any more road running. <laughs> I mean, so. I, I don't want to like jump the gun here, but the, Instagram update you did running in the snow. I think it was like yesterday or (laughs) today. Yeah. You can't fake that smile. Like (laughs) you were, you were where you were meant to be. Like that was, that was really cool. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So, I mean, how does, because I've been there, I mean, and I'm, I'm looking at it from the husband perspective. Mm. I mean, how's your training, uh, change up when, you know, you're, you're pregnant with Mackenzie. Mm. So, you know, when I, I found out I was pregnant with her, um, about five, maybe, I don't even know if it was even five weeks after I ran Boston. Um, it, I ran for like four months while I was pregnant with her. And then the last six months, I just really enjoyed being pregnant and all the food that came with it. (laughs) So I, I stopped running and I would just go to the gym because I felt like, lifting weights. Um, and I was healthy. So, and I was healthy and very young. I had both my kids young. So, um, I felt like if I can just go to the gym and I would go out for really long walks and bike rides, I felt great. I gained a lot of weight though. I gained, I want to say almost 50 pounds with her. And, um, I was at my heaviest I had, I had ever been. It was crazy. Like I look at pictures and I'm like, Oh my gosh. But I also gained a lot with my son too. Um, 
So that, it's, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I yes. know. But I remember if at you're one point losing doctor, weight during that, <laughs> it'd be a serious problem. Yeah. But I remember at one point my doctor saying, Sally, you're not eating for two adults. You're oh. eating for you Oof. and a very tiny, tiny human. <laughs> and I remember my husband just trying not to laugh. And I'm glaring at my husband saying, you do not, you better not laugh. But, um, but within six months, when my daughter was six months old, I did run the Marine Corps Marathon um, on the East Coast. We, I actually had, we, we had lived in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years, and that's where I had Mackenzie. But, um, you know, I, I really missed running, and, and she motivated me to get back in shape. And so all my training was with her, with this running stroller. And, um, you know, I, I went and ran my marathon with, when she was six months old, and, and I was pretty stoked about that. And, uh, you know, that changed my life. It it can, I continued running in there, but I also continued chasing other pursuits too. I started my own business cause I wanted to be a stay at home mom. So I started a fitness business and I started training other women and, um, but still all the while running, but not really for any particular like road goal. And it really wasn't until I had my son when my kids were one and three that I heard about these, um, ultra marathons and how'd you hear about them? I read in a magazine, it was runner's world, you know, I'd, you know, as, as a fitness professional, um, you know, you're always staying on top of the latest news. And so I had, you know, I was getting several different subscriptions to different uh, magazines and I loved runner's world. Um, it was always motivating to read and, and I read an article, it just featured a few athletes that were running these crazy 100 mile races. And I was so fascinated with that. I thought, wow, people do that. Like our bodies can do that. And I was like, sign me up. Like that would be amazing. So, you know, that's, that's really where it all started was just reading about it. And then kind of this little seed that was planted. Um, as I said earlier, I was always a dreamer and I just kind of started dreaming about what would that be like? Why not give it a try? And granted, most of my training was on a treadmill for it. I never ran on a trail once, um, while I prepared for that. And I only had like one or two extra long, long runs. My kids were so little, uh, but I signed up for the American river 50 and you know, I had no idea what I was doing and, um, you went, you went for it. Like I did. Cause I felt like everyone was like, you need to do a 50 K first. And I was like, why I ran a marathon a few times. It's literally <laughs> a six mile challenge. Like it's a six mile challenge you're telling me Love to do. It. And I just didn't, that didn't excite me. I thought if I'm going to do this, like I want something that's going to like scare me. Like exactly 50 miles right. sounds gnarly, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. On that's a treadmill. Kind of, oh my gosh. I know. I was doing a lot of. But I get it. I mean, I have, I, I have like a almost four year old and a six month. So oh, yes. like I, I totally oh, get the I fact that the months. treadmill would be very handy. Yes. Yeah. The, the kids club at the gym. Yeah. was a lifesaver to me yeah, too. Yeah, like $4 or like $3 an hour. Yeah. Oh. Thankfully, I had this really cool membership because the gym was a grand opening that it, they just included it with my membership. I was like, are you oh sure? I'm going to use it all the time. <laughs> so They're yeah, like, oh, Sally's here again. We, again. <laughs> can, you, can you check the treadmill belt? I'm pretty oh sure we need God. to replace it already. I was on that so much. But then, you know, but, but also as a parent, you know, how many times – would I hear my name over the loudspeaker because my son like blew his diaper up and my daughter crying. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> so I had to learn to be really flexible and you know what? The treadmill didn't always work. And so that's when I started 
night running. Like sometimes I would go, everyone would be in bed and at 10 o'clock I'd slip out the door and I'd go run circles in my neighborhood because I was terrified of running at night. But there was this one loop that was really lit up and it was around a busy street in my neighborhood and I felt safe there. So I'd run and circle, 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 circles. I mean, I was just so determined to get my training and I was so determined to be prepared for this race physically. And, you know, I did whatever I could to make it happen. And, you know, I, my whole thing was like, I don't, I, I and I, I kind of had grown up always trying figuring things out. Like you grow up with this work ethic of you make it work. You work hard. If you want it, you're going to work for it. If you really want it, you make it happen and you find whatever way you can to make it happen. And that's really how I've just approached everything. So the 50 mile race is like, wow, we're going to do this. I have a one and three year old. Um, you know, it requires a lot of training and I had to fight a lot of criticism too, because that just, you're not a good mom. If you're going to be out running all the time, you're not a good mom if you're not home doing this. And I finally had to let go of trying to please everyone around me and just say, I want to raise kids that don't stop going after their dreams just because they because they become a parent. You still do the things you love. You still should dream big dreams. No matter how old you are, you should do those things. And you know what? It's going to take some adjustment and every season is different. And so throughout my whole career as a runner, it's like, it's been different as my kids have gotten older. My training schedule looks different, the different times of day that I train. But I spent many, many years, there's many times like they never even knew that I was out running at night because they were asleep in their bed, you know? Yeah, totally. And so just trying to really hold fast to that idea of if you believe in something, then you make it happen. And my biggest joy has been, you know, having this gift of being a parent. So I've, I've also had that great desire to be a good mom. And so for me, it was like, Hey, if I don't sleep as much because I want to be with my kids all day long and I'm running this business so that I can be a stay at home mom, like that was my greatest goal, my greatest joy. But I'm also a competitive athlete that has this deep, deep desire that has never left since I was a little girl to to be a professional athlete. And maybe this just might be something that I that I do. And so it took, man, I didn't sign until I was 32, um, 32 or 33. It took most of my life to get there, but um, all of it you know, as I said earlier in our, our first conversation, it was just, I just learned how to work hard and to not give up. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So. I mean, I, I relate to you with not necessarily criticism, but <laughs> yeah, you know, training, uh, taking away from being a husband, being a mm. father. And I'm all about the, the quality of the time with my kids as opposed to the quantity. So like, as opposed to everyone just staring at screens Mm. and like, yeah, we can clock in and clock out. It's more of like engaging and being active. And, you know, there's, there's times where I selfishly want to do stuff where it's like, let them play with their, their friends that you don't always have to be involved and Mm -hmm. it's taken some time to get comfortable with that because Mm -hmm. like like you said there's sort of like this societal pressure like you have to (laughs) you have to be constantly like 100 percent all about your kids and um i think i think i'm a better parent if i take that 45 minute run and then spend the next three hours hanging out with the family like i'm 
Absolutely. Know. And I always encourage people because you know what? Our family dynamics, they're really unique to us. You know, I have friends who have kids with special needs and they, they need more care and attention. And then, yeah. you know, but then you have like single friends where the parent, you know, the mom or the dad is working two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And, you know, everyone has their own circumstance. And I think I came to a point in my life where I was like, I need to appreciate who I am as an individual and, and the makeup of my family. And I'm going to be the best mom that I can be. And I'm going to still remain being Sally, all of that. And I want my kids to proceed in the same way. I was not put on this earth to impress people. I do believe that I should be loving people, but loving people isn't trying to please them. And I think that, you know, as moms, we, we tend to do that. We size each other up. We judge each other. We, you know, we sit around in our gossip groups and rip each other apart. And I just, I, I've never been drawn to that. And I feel like, man, if we could just be excited for each other's dreams and accomplishments and be each other's cheerleaders and help each other in this, this journey of mothering, man, we, we would, we'd live in a different world. (laughs) We really would. But I don't believe that a life, um, fueled by guilt is a way to live your life. And also realizing that, you know, there is a time and a season for every purpose and we need to give ourselves grace. You know, like I said earlier, you know, when the kids are really little, yeah, they need you so much more for the, just to survive, you know? And it's like, there's a season where, I was constantly changing diapers. You know, both my kids were in diapers at the same time. They're less than two years apart. And, you know, um, there was a season when my husband had a different job and he was gone all the time and at nights. And it was just, it was difficult. And, you know, I just learned where it's like, I can't always be fighting and grumpy and complaining about how my life is right now. I need to embrace it and, and see there's so many blessings in it. And, you know, and people kept on saying, you know, you're, you're, the most important job that you have is your kids. The important job you have is your kids. And, you know, I came to realize, I was like, my kids are a gift. Like, I will never call my children a job. Like, it is <laughs> yeah, a gift to be able to true. have children, to call them my own, to to be able to spend this this life with them. And I think that what I do with this gift is equally important. They are watching me. They're They're observing how I live my life and I want to show them how to live a a fulfilling life. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect mom and I've made a lot of mistakes and, you know, I would, I would think that most parents could agree with that. Like we just don't get it right every time. It's, it can be hard parenting. Um, I think I'll always be learning and I always hope to just be a better mom. I want to continue to grow as, as a mother. And I want my children to know that they're loved and and that they're cared for. And so I don't think I'll ever reach that perfect balance, but, um, you know, I really am just running on this thread of this is my unique family. This is how we operate. This is the season that we are in and this is how we do life. It might not look like yours, but it's not supposed to because my life is not yours. And I think that, you know, social media doesn't help. And, you know, people were scrolling through other people's lives on social media and we're measuring, you know, each other by these photos, by these one second photos or these little quick stories. And it's like, at the end of the day, that's not the whole picture. And so, you know, if I, I think I just needed to, I got to a point, the kids were like two and four where I was like, I got to let go of 
all of this and just focus on how I can be the best mom and wife in my family and still live a full life in every area, um, in every area of my life and in, in, in my passion. So did you, did Sally find Sally when <laughs> you were training for <laughs> the 50 miler? I mean, was that, was that when you started finally having time to yourself? And finally, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. totally serious. I like, it seems like that's the first time you finally broke broke out and like essentially did something for you even though it was at 10 p.m. Yeah. You know, um it actually was um writing for me. I would stay up. I remember my kids were really little. Even when before I had children too, there'd be just this restlessness inside me. Um and I had it, I guess, maybe in high school too, like when my mom was was passing away. Um, you know, I was just very drawn to writing. So I have like huge boxes of, of books and journals that I've kept over the years. I actually started when I was like seven, but really heavily writing. That was my outlet. That was my, my quiet time, the time that I would meditate and ponder and I'd write out my dreams and my pain and frustrations and anger and just everything. So even when... Um, you know, when I, when I started having kids too, it was, there were times sometimes I'd, I'd get out of bed, I'd get up and get out of bed and I would just write. Um, there's something so freeing about that. The running, the other side of that is, you know, people often ask like, doesn't it kind of get boring after a while when you, when you're running? Like, what do you think about? I have one of those brains that doesn't turn off. It's just the way I was created. Uh, so running, it never, ever gets boring, but I actually, do quite a bit of writing in my head when I run and, um, I love it. And sometimes I'll even stop and write things like in the notes on my phone, or sometimes I'll carry like a little journal with me. Um, though writing and running have gone together very closely, um, over the years. So I think entering the ultra world, the more time training, um, you know, there definitely was kind of a battle because like I had said earlier, it was, it was hard, the commitment of training that went, in, that went into that. So in the beginning, the training actually wasn't always stress-free. Like sometimes I'd go and like I'd leave for a run, but I was always so stressed out about what was going back on at home, you know. Yeah. And um, it took me a while before I really settled into just enjoying it purely. I mean, it took me a couple years to even just like run on a trail by myself because I was terrified of running on a trail by myself, terrified of running at night of being away too long, um, being too far, but you know, it's, that's where the, I had to take those chances. That's where the growing came. That's where, you know, I started to mature as a runner and, um, you know, and then just the different seasons of life as my kids got older, um, I I was able to do different things. So, so yeah. I am, I'll just throw it out there. I'm super excited for your book. (laughs) Thank you. I I will be uh, pre-ordering that whenever it, Whenever it comes up. I know. I'm turning it in this month. Uh, That's when it's due to the publishers. So I'm very excited to finally be finishing it. It's actually a a lifelong dream of mine. And um, I still remember the day telling my mom when I was a little girl. I used to make these books out of scrap paper when I was little. I loved writing little books and illustrating them and telling my mom, one day I'm going to write a real book. So um, I think when I finally turn this into the publishers, it will be a great, 
just an amazing, joyful day. I might have a good cry knowing that I finally completed it all after all these many years. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so how did the American River 50 go for you? You know, it actually went far better than than I I could have ever dreamed. I, you know, I knew nothing about trail running and I didn't know very much about nutrition. So I was running on like no fuel for like the first 31 miles and I was in good placement. I was like fourth place. And then I, my whole body just started cramping up and a runner came running back to me. This, this really kind runner named John blue. I still remember him. And he said, have you, how many salt tabs have you had? When was the last time you ate something? And I'm just looking at him sideways. Like, cause I passed through the aid stations thinking like that stuff isn't for me. Like I have my bottles I think there was a little bit in my bottles, but I just obviously was not taking in enough at all. I thought I could run it primarily in water. So he gave me some salt tabs. He encouraged me to eat some potatoes, eat some, you know, eat some bananas. And I went back to an aid station and I started doing that. So I had to slow down quite a bit. I ended up getting eighth place. Um, but I will say when I, just a couple weeks before going into that race, I heard about this race called Western States. And if I would have been in the top three, I would have gotten a ticket to Western States. So that was actually my goal going into my first ultras. I'm going to run my first ultra and simultaneously qualify for Western States. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. I mean, I'm looking at your time. So you ran a 740. Yeah. My, my first 50K was uh, right around that time. I mean, granted, it was awesome. raining and muddy, but wow. Oh. Talk about coming right out of the gates. I mean, <laughs> you had an aerobic engine mm. in place and you had done enough training. That's that's really amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, without was, any kind fun. of working knowledge on nutrition and hydration, really. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I didn't know what I was doing. But it was, I did fall in love with it then. I thought, you know, after I crossed that finish line, it was like that night. And I know a lot of people uh, can identify with this, those of you listening, you know, you, you cross at right before you cross the finish line, maybe those like five, six miles before you're like, I will never ever do this again. Why am I doing this? This is terrible. And then like later that night after you've crossed the finish line, you're on ultra sign up looking for the next race that you're going to run. That was so me. I was like, that was amazing. And I, I did, I ran another race five weeks later. And then a week after that race, I ran another one. Like I just went crazy. Um, just tackled it in a very unhealthy way. I was racing way too much, ended up getting injured, <laughs> but yeah. I fell in love that year. So, you know, that was really where, where the fire started. I mean, it's, it's just like having kids, right? You have the first <laughs> one you're like, never again. Yeah. At least that's what my wife screamed. And, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I remember. Luckily we have short-term memories. So. <laughs> yes. That is the grace and all of it is we don't remember all of that. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you did some amazing races and I kind of want to fast forward because not to understate your achievements because you, you definitely hit Western States a few times, but you know, there's famous movies about these and they've, you know, you've talked about quite a few of these. Um, so, and I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> I, I truly you. enjoy this. Um, oh, thank you. I want to fast forward to this year. I hope I'm not fast forwarding too much. No, that's fine. I, I know mean, we've been talking for a while. I hope our listeners aren't growing tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like, 
I will receive messages. Why did you push this forward? We want to hear about each and every race. Aww. Um, <laughs> uh, 2018 was a solid year for you. I mean, thank you. And you had kind of your breakout victory. You had mm-hmm. never won a hundred miler, so Terrawera mm-hmm. went really well for you. Yeah. And it it seems like, and I listened to an Ethan Newberry interview of you after that race, and it was almost like Nike had flown you out somewhere, and oh. it was you, you were doing a million different things. You show up. My coach was like, like ripping his hair out. He's just like, <laughs> and we talk about it all the time. Like I, Mario Fraioli is my coach. He is incredible. There's very few people on the planet that understand and know my life like he does. So he is of everything, just a wonderful mentor and someone that I can just bounce things off of. But, um, those first, like probably the first six months when he first started coaching me, it was just like, Oh my gosh, like I cannot keep up with you. I don't even know what country you're in or where you are, what you're doing, like what is going on? How in the world are you able to train? Like he coaches like (laughs) EO Wang who just did like a world tour. So that's saying a lot. Yeah. He coaches a lot of pro roadrunners. Like he's an incredible coach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he um So he can't keep up with what you're doing or like where you are? <laughs> yeah, I mean I on on top of running professionally, I also um which is just such a sweet I I love this. I'm a consultant. Um and I consult for for several different things. So sometimes I consult just kind of like a a life consultant. Um you know, people contact me and it's just to you know for encouragement and life goals and and things like that. Um, and then there's the, the run coaching I'm, I'm consulting for that, but I also work on Nike photo shoots and commercials as a, a sports tech. So I work really closely with like the creative and production team and I work with the talent that's hired and making sure that they are, they look like runners and they're running well and they're hitting all the shots right. And, um, and just other areas too. So I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, um, they were doing a big photo shoot down in Uruguay just a couple weeks before I was supposed to run Tarawera. So I basically flew, well, the beginning of, so Tarawera was in February, the beginning of January, my coach, we decided I was pumping out these hundred mile weeks, hundred mile weeks. And at the end of each 100-mile week, I would race. So I raced like a 50-miler, then a 50K, then another 50K. And he would put those at the end of these 100-mile weeks to assimilate like extreme fatigue for one. I had no advantage going into any of these races. Like I was so trashed. And then I left for – so that was the first few weeks. And then I left for Uruguay for two weeks. I came home from Uruguay after this photo shoot. And these are like 10, 12-hour days when you're there. I came home for 24 hours and then I flew to New Zealand and I raced and my coach was just like, Man. all right, we need realistic expectations going into this. We have no idea how this is going to go. And there was like the biggest storm in history too, like while I was racing. So it was mud up to my shins for like 40 miles. I mean, it was like the worst conditions possible. And I just laughed. I mean, I, I think, as I said earlier, I'm like, I've trained my whole life for stuff like this. Like, I can deal with the unexpected. I can deal with being tired. I can deal with, you know, being strong through what would possibly be for others mental breakdown. Um, I know how to stay positive. I know how to be gritty. And so that's just what I'm going to do. Like, I have to 
these are the things I need to be doing in my life right now to bring in an income. And so it is what it is. It isn't ideal. My coach talk, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. I probably don't have the ideal schedule <laughs> of most professional athletes, but, um, and I sometimes have even allowed myself to wonder like, yeah, what would it be like if I was living at home with my parents or in a car and all I did was run and recover and sleep and eat and just worry about myself and focus on myself 24 seven. I'm like, yeah, I, I probably would have better results. I probably would, you know, you know, win more races and, you know, I'd be able to do more things. I'd probably feel better. Um, I'd say that the majority of my racing, there's, you know, I'm, my absolute best. There's always a little bit taken out of me, you know, just because of the nature of, of my life. And, you know, on top of that, trying to write a book, I do a lot of, uh, keynote, um, motivational speaking too. And then I'm also a Nike run club coach on the Nike plus app. So I get in the recording studio and I, record those audio guided runs. So if you ever want to go for a run with me, you can. And then I'll do like live private um, coaching events for Nike. If they have private events, like I'll come out and, and coach that. So, you know, my my life is all over the place. It's and amazing. It is crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and you do podcasts. Like, I, how I do you even have time to be talking right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, my family's incredible. They're very supportive. And, um, you know, I just can't say enough what a gift it is to have two children that are healthy, um, that, that, you know, they thrive socially. They're both straight A students. Um, they're great athletes and they're super happy. And I really do see that as a unique gift. Um, cause that's rare. And I realize that, um, because they're like that, it, it, I get to do what I, what I get to do. And so I don't, ever take any day for granted. And, you know, same with my husband. So many people ask like, oh my gosh, your poor husband. And it's like, if you talk to him, he doesn't say that. He's oh, I get the really, same, I, get the I same know. Thing. Yeah, and I, yeah. I do, you know, I do get contacted by people will send me messages that do break my heart. And I get it because, you know, they, my husband won't let me do these races or my wife says that I train too much or did it. And I say, you know what? I 100% get that. My husband and I have had those seasons too, where it's just, especially before I was even a professional where it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, what is this amounting to? Like, what is this building up to? And in my mind, I had this dream that one day I was going to make it. And it's like, just trust me, just trust me. And it's like, how much longer, you know, because there either needs to be a paycheck on the other side of this. Cause we live in Southern California. We both need to be bringing in full-time salaries. So, you know, we definitely had those seasons where I wasn't doing that. I was chasing this dream and, you know, let's be honest, that's hard. And there can, it's easy to see some selfishness in that, especially if it doesn't come to fruition. And so when it came down to it, it was like, we had to become great communicators and we had to, you know, really meet each other in the middle. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it could have been any situation. I could have been working, you know, at a high profile business job or on wall street, you know, you know, being a workaholic. I mean, there's so many different situations where, you know, where this happens in relationships, you know, and at the end of the day, if we cannot agree to communicate and be selfless, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is like, look out for each other. And, you know, I wasn't always doing that. And there was times that maybe he wasn't always doing that. And it's just like, we need to work through this. So I get that. I really do. But we're at a, you know, over the years, our relationship has also gotten so much stronger because of that. And, 
he's my greatest cheerleader and is always so proud of me. And you know, he hides notes in my suitcases when I leave. And oh he's man, super stoked. My, I'm, I'm stoked I'm, for I'm what I do. I'm gonna have my wife <laughs> listen to this one. I haven't got any notes yet. Dang it! Oh, <laughs> but it's, it hasn't always been that way. You know, it's just it takes. You know, it's it's work. I you know for for relationships to be just easy and seamless and always getting along. I mean, that's just a lie because you're putting two people together that are different. And, you know, so we've learned a lot. We've been together since we were 19. So uh, we definitely have a very strong friendship. And I think that friendship has, has definitely saved us many times because he's just my absolute best friend in the whole world. So, um, that's awesome. you know, I, like I'm any, exactly the same way. It's uh, yeah. Very, very similar. Um, hopefully I come across some like money at some point. I could just have you as a little <laughs> life coach forever. I'll just, just hire you away. We can do chats every day. Like I find you very inspiring. Like you're very, very positive and I can see how that works its way over to success in ultra running because there are deep and dark moments and having perspective like you do and and almost just the mental strength to pull yourself through. I mean, it's, it's a, it's amazing. Um, and I'm really glad mm-hmm. you had your big victory. <laughs> Sounds like bad water went really well. I mean, considering how, <laughs> how crappy, I mean, that was what the hottest day on record or one of them. And it was the hottest day in the history of that race, but also, just the hottest day on the planet. I remember at that time, I don't think there's been a lot of other times that that area has been so hot. I mean, I think the heat coming off the road was 160 degrees. I literally felt like my legs were on fire. One, one, 160? 160 Fahrenheit, 160. I mean, I could set my oven to that temperature. That's disturbing. It was, it was crazy, you know, and I, I think for most people, they'd be like, yeah, you got seventh place. Like, that's incredible. That's amazing. But, you know, it, it was one of, it was a very big heartbreak for me, um, for a few reasons. And I remember even one of my, he's, he's my good friend, but he was just like, Sally, what happened? I totally thought you were going to smash that race and you didn't like what happened. And I remember just like crying, like getting that message from him. Cause I was like, Thank you for your honesty in that. Like he just got it. He's a he's a professional runner too. So he was just kind of like, I saw how hard you trained. I, you know, and I know you, I know what you put into that and your fitness level is there. I mean, everything was there. Like what happened, you know? So I think, you know, as a, when you put your whole heart and soul and time and effort into something that when you don't meet your goals, I mean, it just hurts that much more you know, I had to find some takeaways, obviously like finishing that race. It had the highest dropout race rate in the history of that race. Um, it was, it was so brutal to know I, I did it on the hottest. It will probably likely never be that hot again. I mean, who knows? Let's hope. Um, yeah, let's hope. Um, you know, I'm not a road runner. That was the first road ultra I've ever done in my life. And I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that was really hard for me. That in itself was massive discipline and very difficult for, you know, five months, barely ever being able to go. I think I only went into the mountains like a couple of times and that's like where I want to be every day. Most of my time was spent on the road. I had to 
prime my body for road running for such a long distance. But I got fit. I was super fast. My, my big, my big, big dream for that was to break the course record. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's just the way I set my goals. That's how I I shoot for things. It's like, I'm not just going to go and say, Hey, I hope I finish because that's not, this is one for one. It's my job to be the best that I can be. My body's my job. I'm going to aim high. Um, I know this is a difficult race and I absolutely respected that, but that's how I approach my training too. I was very serious about my training. Um, I was so disciplined and dedicated. And I think that what I learned, it was a very humbling experience at the end of the day was just realizing that this is such a beautiful picture of what real life is like. You know, we think at times, well, I worked so hard, so I deserve to have this result. Or I, I was so focused. I was so disciplined. And I, I, I started to just think back in my life where I had been in that scenario before where it was like, I felt like, well, I deserve this. Cause I, I put in all the hard work. It's like, if you do your best and the results will come, if you really believe then it's going to happen, you know, all these things. And it was like, told her, her yeah. Whole life. yeah. But it's then what I learned in that was just like, sometimes the greatest reward is actually in the journey. It doesn't have to do with standing on the podium. It's who were you in that journey and who are you even still in the defeat? And for me, it was, that's what I felt. I felt like this great defeat and it was like, but still, who am I? And what did I learn and what did that show me? And, you know, at mile 30, I completely lost my legs and I was... I just ran in excruciating pain. It wasn't even like, I really wasn't concerned so much about the heat because I was so well heat trained. Um, You know, I didn't have massive stomach issues. I mean, I was throwing up here and there. Most people do in that race. And sometimes it's because the heat or whatever, your food doesn't go down right. But like, I, I didn't have any legs left. I had my adductors, which is the inside of my thighs, were seizing um, the whole time. And I don't know if for those of you listening, your adductors are like the, they never turn off. It's this, the muscles there. It just felt like somebody was stabbing me the whole time. And it, it didn't matter if I was walking. It didn't matter if I was jogging. It, it was very like, I had to physically uh, mentally really focus on each step. If I was running, I had to really, um, try. I, it was weird. It was like, I had to really try hard to run And I, my mind went through all these different scenarios. I was thinking about like this, for some people, this is their life. Like it's painful to run. It's hard to move their legs. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other. And, and then dealing with all the mental demons, like I, there, I had hours where I was just really down on myself and having to fight out of those dark places. And, you know, so looking back, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm, amazed of what our bodies are capable of doing when we're in so much pain and when we're mentally so low and in such a dark place like the idea that no you can keep on going that fascinated me and it gave me a lot of hope it just gave me hope for whatever i i move forward on in my life realizing like i i can do this um but you know the the big question is has been you know are, am i going to go back Am I going to register again and, and try to to break that record? Am I going to try to have a better race? Um, and for that, I do not know still. <laughs> That's fascinating. So. I, I relate to like everything you've said other than 160 degrees on the road. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't even comprehend that. But mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking to the training for ultra that, you know, sometimes the, the training can be just as rich and fulfilling as the actual event itself. Mm. It's really interesting. So you found that at Badwater, your training at Badwater was like kind of the moment of realization of that, or had mm. you gotten a taste of that prior? Cause this, I mean, you were training in totally uncharted bad waters. No. Uh, yeah. Well, as I mean, far as you're as not far a road as, runner. No, I'm not. I mean, I, and when I say that, I mean like road focus, I've always run on the road. I've never not run on the road. Yeah. Um, and I very commonly train twice a day and usually at least one of my runs is on the road, but it's always like a recovery run or just an easy robot run. Or if it's like, I need to hit a tempo at a, at a certain pace, I'll be on the road. Um, but my mind is always focused on, okay, I'm doing this big mountain race, you know? And so yeah. fitness comes on the road and on the track. I mean, that's true pure running that keeps you honest. It really gives you a good picture of, of, of your fitness and what kind of runner you are. And, you know, our sport, as the years pass on, it's like, you need, you need to be on the track and the road training. Um, if you, if you want to be competitive, you have to be both fast and strong. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how versatile, uh, trail athletes are. I remember when our Nike trail team had 20 people on it, half the team went to the Olympic trials for the marathon, for the road marathon, half of our team. And I was just so inspired and amazed by that. But I was like, these are rad athletes like they are incredible like people will work their whole life just to make it to the olympic trials and here these are athletes who are running 100 miles in the mountain and now they're running olympic trials on the road and um i think patrick Smythe was the one that placed the best uh in the olympic trials he was like sixth sixth place for the men it was amazing so you know i think for me um being on the road it was more having a road mind like that was the focus. The focus is the road. Um, not so much. This is, we're going to go on the road for your recovery run. It's like, no, we're training to be on the road. And that was, that wasn't always easy, but I will say I did like the faster running. Um, I liked, you know, my tempos were a lot longer. I mean, I would have to do like between 14 and 18 mile tempos as opposed to, you know, uh, if you're like a half marathon or you're doing like a four to six mile tempo or something. Right. But, um, the tempos were really long and, you know, and it changed my body, just my body changed because all the workouts were different. So that was kind of fun too. I think it's, it's wise in whatever sport we're doing to change up our training and to try new things and to test our bodies because your body will respond. And I, I think just that in itself is fascinating. The heat wasn't bad. I mean, the course is literally three hours from my house. I've grown up in the heat. At one point we lived out more in the, in the desert. I remember being at soccer practice in 115 degree heat and I do very well in the heat. So I was excited about that because I knew that that wasn't going to be necessarily a factor that would break me. And that was probably the one thing that was true for that race. Even though it was so super hot, I didn't find myself like, oh my gosh, it's so hot out here. Like I didn't even really think about it except when we got in that valley and it was like 160 coming off the road that I was like, wow, I've never felt this kind of heat on my body before, but it never got to my head. It was never like, I can't stand this anymore. Um, I was very, uh, you know, I was very acclimated and comfortable in the heat. Obviously that's extreme, extreme, extreme heat, but, um, you know, I felt good just, just being in it. 
I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And then just real quick, because you've taken so much time. I, <laughs> and again, I could just keep talking and talking about running with you. <laughs> we I have mean, to, might have to make this a two-part podcast. Or, I, I know. Or, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we can go back over each each and every race. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking there, but I, I could talk for hours with you. Um, what, what did you, um, find happen at UTMB this year? Was it, did you push the envelope with recovery from Badwater? Was it just too close or did you get sick on the way over? Cause your immune system always, I mean, for you elites, it put 110% into a race. Yeah. I mean, you know, that great, great question. I'm still trying to like really finalize my, my thoughts on that. But, um, my, my coach for one was not super excited that I decided to do both those. That's not something he would ever recommend or tell an athlete that it was a good idea. But, you know, for coach and I I said, I really want to do both of these races. And I knew going into UTMB that I wouldn't, you know, I needed to have healthy expectations. Um, I think my coach knowing me well knew that that would probably be one of the most difficult parts for me because I don't typically line up at a start line and say, I just want to get to the finish line. Like that is, um, that's difficult for me. But again, it's, I'm also professional. So that's not like, that shouldn't be my goal. But I think for this, when you look at the circumstances, two very extreme and some of the toughest races on the planet, five weeks apart, Um, it was foolish of me just to, to not give it more thought. My recovery was actually really good. Um, I was, I recovered really well. I didn't have any blisters or black toenails. My feet were, looked like I didn't even run. You didn't have blisters? Nothing, nothing. I had nothing. And blisters in 160 degrees. That's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I actually had posted a picture of my feet on my Instagram I, stories and people are the, like, uh, what in the world? <laughs> so uh, I did the same thing after Moab because I yeah. didn't have any blisters and I, I hate pictures of feet, but I have to prove this to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. But So I felt, I felt good and mentally. So that's always the test for me is like, I believe that if your mental state is positive, enthusiastic and rested, um, that that will trump even a tired body. And so that's really where I was going in. Now I haven't really shared this, um, because I, I also, I'm not going to make excuses it, it the race did not go as planned. I had a complete and utter, it was almost, I remember thinking when I was on top of the mountain in Switzerland saying my body has betrayed me and I was angry. I was really mad. Um, and I had to be escorted by two mountain guides down to this aid station where they then drove me back into Chamonix. But, um, on our way to the airport from Huntington beach to LAX and my daughter was with me, um, our Uber driver, oh man, our Uber driver decided to, well, I first couldn't really communicate with him that well. He didn't, he didn't, he had like broken English and, um, I also didn't know like how well he could even really hear. So I was a little nervous because his driving was kind of erratic. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had been in that situation a couple of times. I'd take Uber all the time um, where sometimes the drivers make you nervous. And yeah. so I was, 
I remember we were sitting there and we were just going through like the back streets um, in, in our city where we weren't even like on a busy, in a busy part of town. But I remember looking up at the traffic signal. We were about, we were about to go through the intersection and the light went from green to yellow. And it was green when we were like in the crosswalk and then it went to yellow and he slammed on his brakes so hard that we went flying forward. All our bags went flying forward, went flying all over, over the car. The seatbelts um, locked super hard and I had an immediate headache and back pain. And I was like totally whiplashed. And I didn't know how bad I was whiplashed until I came home from France and I went to my PT and she was like, oh my gosh, like this is like, you are just pulled so tight and I have lordosis in my back. And she's like, you don't even have lordosis anymore because the whiplash is so bad. But, um, I was from that time on the way to the airport in a lot of pain and I was really upset about it, but I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't even tell my coach, um, because you know, that side of running has always been a toss up for me. Like I, I always have to be careful how I communicate my running in public because I don't ever want to go in. I knew just finishing bad water. I want to go in and be like, yeah, well, my back kind of hurts. So, um, you know, like I didn't want to have like this padded excuse. And I also didn't want to make that my excuses why I had dropped out. Um, it definitely was a factor though. I was just in a lot of, a lot of pain, but internally more, um, it was like everything was, I felt like stuff was just shutting down. Um, and the doctor at the top of the mountain in Switzerland was, he showed a lot of, he was really concerned and he's like, I just don't know if it's a good idea. And he was like checking all my vitals. And he's like, on one hand, it seems like you're getting pneumonia. And he's like, you know, this is, I, I, I would tell you not to go on. And I really wrestled and kind of argued with him for a good 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, I, I just, at that point, I, I actually wasn't in such bad placement. I think by the time they actually like cut my tags and stuff, it probably showed me that I was like so far back, but I wasn't, um, I think after it was over an hour, then eventually lots of people started passing me, but I only had 40 miles to go. And I literally could have, I think I had like 22 more hours to finish 40 miles if I wanted to. What country were you in and like what climb was that? I was in Switzerland. I had just okay. climbed out of, so it was Col Ferret. I actually just posted a picture of it on my Instagram a couple of days ago. Um, it says Col Ferret. So I was climbing out of Italy and I was yeah. just um, dropping down into Switzerland. So, um, and there was a big storm at the top. I mean, like a pretty gnarly storm I had on every piece of gear that was in my pack, but it didn't it was, bother me because I was I'd pretty been, muddy up there. Too. It was muddy. Yeah. It was freezing. Um, I, I can't remember. I think there was, like, I think there's a little bit, there was some snow at the top, but you know, the year before 2016, that was like the worst storm I've ever been in, in my life. And, and so some people thought, Oh, was it the storm? And I was like, no, like that wasn't even as, as bad as what we experienced last year. Um, so I came home and I'd say September, October, it was, I, I experienced like this real, just low slump in my body um, had a hard time recovering from anything that I was doing mentally. I was like really fatigued and I got like some tests done. Um, I got, I had like this hair follicle test done and, um, 
you know, met with a couple of my coach. Yeah. I have this other coach, like a strength coach too. And, you know, it just all came down to when they got the hair test back, it was just like, um, 20 page summary and kept on pointing to you've had an acute traumatic situation. <laughs> it was like over and over again. And we Gosh. just are laughing. We're like, um, and, and I, I just internally, um, there was a lot of breakdown in my body that I didn't know about both nutritionally, um, organ wise, everything. So I was really, I cried, I'll be honest. I got the results back and I just wept. I was really upset. Um, I think because, you know, on one hand, we say things like mind over body, but the reality is if you don't have that mass, if you don't have, if your body isn't healthy and strong, I'm sorry, like it doesn't matter how strong your mind is. It just comes down to being unhealthy and stupid. And I think for me, I had to learn that. Um, I had to accept that. And so um, I had to take like the last couple of weeks of September and most of even November, like it was like sporadic training, like start training up again. I was training for North Face 50 and it was crazy because the week that it, like when the fires were going on and there was all this talk of it being canceled, I was like, me and my coach were like, this is not a good idea if you run this race. Like I, my body was so beat up and I wasn't responding to workouts and mentally I was just not there. And I'd never experienced that in my whole life, ever, ever, ever. And um, so Sort of it, a blessing in disguise having it really, canceled this year. Yeah, but so mm-hmm. Coach just said, you know what? Trust me, this extra rest will be good for you. And I said, Coach, I've I've never rested this long since the only time I rested this long was in 2012 when I fractured my leg in the middle of a hundred mile when I it was my first hundred mile race, Andrew's Crest, and I still finished that race. As just another example That's of insane. how I beat myself up over the years, but it's it, but also telling of what I always have to work on. You know, I have this, you know, um, fight or die type personality. That's just the way that I am with everything. That's what I've always known. So when something is ingrained in you so deeply, um, you know, I can't throw your hands up there and be like, ah, it's just the way I am. It's like, no, this is something that you actually really have to work on if you want to be successful. So I have just now started back into training in the last like week and a half where, um, I now I'm starting to do workouts again and I'm now running consistently and I had to take like a true four, six weeks off to let my body heal. Um, you know, I've had to change my diet and my sleep and just everything. I've, I really have had to go back and start at square one and just respect what I did. I mean, I, I did seven races in nine months. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. that's not, that probably isn't the healthiest. At, at, that, yeah, at the elite <laughs> level, uh, mm-hmm. it's very taxing, but I'd say watch out for Sally McRae in 19. <laughs> If you just rested that much, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this story play out before and it's, it's always like, Oh, I, I think it was Tim Ferricks or Eric Sensman had like a, a fracture in their foot or so, something. And they were forced to actually not run for like three weeks or four weeks. And I think they came back and won whatever it was mm. following that. So you could actually see all kinds of like adaptation because you're actually resting for the first time in half a decade. Um, so yeah. last, last question and I'll have to stay in touch with you. Cause I, I really enjoyed this and it was, you know, more, it, I felt like this was more than just like a back and forth, like throwing question and answer back. Like I felt like 
you were just totally open and honest and I appreciate mm. you know you you sharing your story with the listener and honestly I've followed you for quite some time now and I haven't heard a lot of this like <laughs> it's it's very cool to hear your story and I I mean I've always respected you but I respect you even more now knowing a lot mm. of this but on a lighter note like what's um what's your 2019 shaping up do you have a goal? I do. Yeah. yeah. My coach and I have, have, um, we've gone back and forth of so many races, typically around August, September is when races start inviting, you start getting invites for races. And so, um, it, it's also like my favorite time. Cause it's like, it's like Christmas, you know, <laughs> Christmas, but you can't choose all the gifts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it actually turns into being both super exciting, but like gut wrenching. Cause my coach is like, Sally, you can't do, do what you would normally do. You have to choose, you know, and what are these goals? Cause I would sign up for everything that I was invited to. And then I would probably be racing every three or four, <laughs> four <laughs> weeks and that would just not be good. So he and I have just talked about like, let's see, what is that a race is, you know, what is your a race going to be? And, you know, when we first started discussing it, it was, well, I want to do bad water and UTMB again. And, um, both my coaches are like, no, like you can't, can't, are you joking what you just went through? Like, and it it was really hard. Like that has been very difficult for me, but what I have resolved is like, you know what, my greatest passion where I find the most joy and what I is just like who I am is, is I'm a big mountain runner. I love big mountain adventures. I love being high up in the mountains. I love spending a whole, whole day up there. Um, I like the challenges that come with it. Um, so I'm really focusing on, um, on mountain races next year. The most, uh, exciting one so far is dragon's back race in Wales. It's the toughest five day mountain race in the world. Uh, that was one of the things that drew me to it. I was like, wait, toughest in the world. Okay. I'll do that one. Um, but that one is, so that one's in May. Um, we will likely make UTMB my a race. So everything will be kind of focusing on gearing up for that. And then I'm going to be doing, I've always wanted to do Leadville, but it just has never lined up right because UTMB is, you know, Leadville is actually a very fast, very runnable race. Um, like 40 or miles. So that, I mean, you can really hammer and, um, and it's so close to UTMB. So between the two UTMB is far more, um, you know, attractive to me than, than Leadville has ever been. But this opportunity to do cloud city, which is a six day stage race in Leadville, all above 10, you were at 10,000 to 14,000 feet the whole time. Um, and it's it's unassisted, so you have to carry your food and your clothes. When is um, that? It's in September, but okay. they do mark it very well. So it's very well marked, and they give you a tent, water, and fire. And so um, it's really unique. But both of those races between those two stage races, I thought um, the stage race in Wales, you have to navigate that one. So you have support the whole time, and there is, they give you a map with here's the route. Um, you just have to use that map. And I think you can even download it on your, on your GPS. Um, so that part is exciting. Like I'm going to do these races that are really going to challenge me in the mountains and are going to completely push me beyond my limits because I love it. Yeah. So, and it's then a, I'm such yeah. a cool ske- schedule. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the dream that's a mountain runner, like dream schedule. Right it there. is. It is. But I'll probably throw in Lake Sonoma, cool. um, in April. 
And then there's a couple other races that I'm still, um, I still have to make decisions on. So, but those are the, the big ones. The and main just main selfishly, ones. have you thought of a 200 miler? Cause I've, I've heard elite, <sighs> elites don't want to run those until they're like over the hill essentially, which I think Courtney's kind of altered that perspective, <laughs> but maybe I'm totally missing something and I love them. They like the experience is so amazing it's an adventure yeah. it's not really a race it's like exploring and i mean yeah you know, this is from middle of the pack but have you ever considered that or is that like totally out there for you no i mean there's so many there's so many that's why i love our sport because there's so many different types of racing within our sport within the ultras and it never gets boring it's not like 10K racing where it's like you pretty much know what it's going to be. It's beyond the road. There might be a little tiny hill, maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. and and you could keep on going back to the same race and it could be different every year, you know? Exactly. So I just, yes. I love that our sport is like that. You know, I've, I've thought about a 200 mile race, but, but this is the same thing when I was even thinking about doing Badwater. I need to be excited about it first before I would actually do it. And right now when I think of, a 200, I just don't, um, it doesn't get me super excited solely for the reason that, um, I really love running and I love that the hundred mile race, you can, you can pretty much run Without, I don't yeah. say hard. I don't want to yeah. say hard. I mean, it really depends on what hundred mile race you're doing, but like, there's just something in that now, uh, but I'm going to couple that by saying, I don't know how good hundred mile races are even are for our bodies. And I don't think there's enough research out there. And I have watched, sadly, you know, you see athletes that have been incredible for a couple of years doing these really long distances. And then there's like a deterioration. There's a decrease and a decline in performance. Um, you know, you hear of health problems and things like that. I don't know. There's just, but my favorite distance is the hundred mile. And you know, this year I, I tackled uh, three of them. So, and that, I think that's a lot. That That's extreme. So when I think of the 200, I wonder what, what will, um, what will that ultimately do to my body and the rest, you know, the rest of the year? I, I just don't know. Would I, would I want to do it in, in the future? I maybe, I don't know. I think I need to learn more about it and, and just consider it more. But right now I've, I'm just taking up every opportunity that I possibly can. You know, it's, it's amazing what's out there and, you know, I'll, I'll do 50 K's, hundred K's, hundred milers, um, all over the world. These offers are there and I just, I want to do them. And so, um, that's kind of where my, where my mindset is right now. After that Leadville stage race, <laughs> I'll see. I'll see you in Moab in October. No, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah. You never know. You never know, and especially with me. I mean, I. I'll say I'm never doing that, and then that's and then next. I do. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can sign up on Ultra Sign Up, which is just dangerous. It's a dangerous option, Stevie. I know. Um, I know. Well, I enjoyed it. Where can people follow you on social media? I'm sure half our listeners, at least, are already following you. But... <laughs> the the most the what I update the most is uh, Instagram. I'm Yellow Runner on Instagram. If you put in Sally McRae, it'll pop up too. Uh, and then I have a page on Facebook. It's Yellow Runner. On Twitter, I'm Sally McRae, and I have my website, which is SallyMcRae.com. Awesome. 
Sally, thank you for taking so much time. I'll be contacting you later as a life coach or just a coach. And, <laughs> and truly, I, I enjoyed it. We'll, we'll stay in touch and have you on again. So thank awesome. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate your time. Big thank you again to Sally McRae for taking all that time. And man, I could have talked for hours and hours with her. She's um amazing athlete, amazing amazing mom, amazing wife. So uh, thank you to Sally for taking all that time. Big thank you to the sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Destination Trail, and Exoskin. And again, big thank you to the Patreon supporters. You guys know who you are. Much appreciated. Have a great week, guys. Don't forget to enjoy your training.